Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Right. It is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. 
For those of you who celebrate 30 years ago in one day, 30 years ago on the 17th, the Chicago Bulls beat the New York Knickerbockers in a just heated seven-game series in the Eastern Conference semifinals. The Knicks really handed it to us, but the Bulls prevailed, as they always did, with Michael Jordan. Don't talk to me about 1995, but in 1992, my favorite Chicago Bulls team just took down the Knicks in as expected fashion as possible because, you know, it's the Knicks. It's going to happen. And we celebrate this. It's the 30th anniversary of this, which will come up probably pretty often during this podcast because we are talking about May 1992 today on Helping Friendly Podcast Live. My name is Brian. I've got RJ and Megan here. We're going to bring on a very special guest, Benji Eisen, here shortly. He has joined us in each of the last two months to talk through the spring 1992 fish tour. We are going to conclude that here today. Very, very excited about that. But before we do that, RJ, Megan, how are you doing? And what were your thoughts on the Bulls Eastern Conference semifinals victory over the New York Knicks 30 years ago? Really just just happy that it happened. Um, and I thought it was generally good. Um I remember those days, you know, I was, I mean, I was definitely watching, watching the NBA. I was a Pistons fan. So, Mm. you know, it was a little bit, probably, that was probably not good um, at that time for us, but um, otherwise, otherwise I'm happy for you still. I knew you were a Tigers fan. I didn't know the Pistons thing. I, we, we we should dive into this at some point because we had a lot of back and forth between the Bulls and the Pistons. And I, I like Cade Cunningham. I'll tell you what, I like Cade Cunningham. Um, Brian, before Megan weighs in on the Bulls, um, can I just say, I I have to say something to one of our listeners real quick before we start. Um, his name's JR, which is my name backwards, but, um, a a couple years back in September of 2019, he gave me, he got me, he sold me two tickets to Vita Blue in, in DC. And I was reminded of this on Twitter the other day that I, I think that as part of that, he said, could you give me and my buddies a shout out on HF pod at the, at like, and I said, sure. And I never did. And so even though it's three years later, I want to, now I have to say thanks JR and thank you to JR Forbin, the ascendant, AKA lady beer and the fine folks of the pizza party national hotline. And so, sorry, I didn't do that three, two and a half years ago, but, um, but we're here now. So, um, Megan, what Better are you late than never. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Making good on promises. I like it. It's a good way to start. As far as my thoughts on the sports event that you discussed, um, I grew up in Michigan, so I think my family were Pistons fans. I don't really know. My brother was a massive Michael Jordan fan, like had like the wingspan poster in his room, still collects Jordans, has like vintage Jordans, super into that. His daughter wears Jordans. So I'm a Michael Jordan fan, but I remember someone asked me one time, I decided that I thought I needed to have like one basketball player that I liked when I was growing up that I was like into. And so I chose someone that I thought seemed cool. And so someone asked me, who's your favorite Piston player? And I was like, Scottie Pippen, because that was who I'd chosen. But he's actually not a Pistons player. So even when I chose a favorite basketball player, I didn't know what team he played on. But I really like Scottie Pippen because he's a cool name. So he's a I, cool name. 
drastically underpaid throughout his prime. See? The man ended up on his back constantly throughout just like you constantly throughout the the entire 1990s there's no way the bulls win six titles without scotty pippen so you got the wrong team wrong but you got the right player yeah see so that's my thought about sports today it's a good thought we'll continue to update you guys on our thoughts of the uh 1992 eastern conference semifinals one of the most intense playoff series of my entire life but before we do that we have some business to take care of, and we have to talk to Benji. Want to tell you all who are listening out there to please subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. We just recorded a fantastic bonus episode. I can't wait for you all to hear it. We bared our souls in many ways. Cannot wait for everyone out there to hear it. Um, I will say no more. I just I think that if you want to know who we all are as people. This is like the evolving series of the bonus pod. It's like, we, we talk about fish here. We get into the weeds of like the stats and where the band was at at the time. And did we like this jam or did we like this jam? On the bonus episodes, we really dive into who are Brian, Megan, RJ, and Jonathan. So I'd encourage you all to check that out. You also get early episodes of shows like Undermine, as well as Sugar Maple that just celebrated its season finale, series finale. Amazing, amazing series. We encourage you all to check out. Um, I also want to encourage you, I said this on Monday, we will be coming back in about two weeks with our quick hit series of this upcoming summer tour. Um, if you are going to any of the shows in the first leg of the tour, Orange Beach, Charleston, and Deer Creek, hit us up on Twitter. Um, you can hit us up on our personal accounts or on the HF Pod account and let us know that you'd like to participate and we will start to get you booked into um, HF Pod quick hit recaps that we'll do the day after each show. So really, really excited about that and would encourage anyone out there listening who's going to those shows to hit us up. We love talking to people who are on the ground at the shows to give us their insights. Megan, would you like to tell us a bit about our friends at Sunset Lake today? I would love to. Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan. Anybody searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All of the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flower by shipping directly from their farm to your door. And Brian, I want to tell you, I think you should probably bring some extra CBD when you go see Trey at Red Rocks because my parents asked me last night for your phone number because they would like to hunt you down at Trey at Red Rocks. And I think they would really love to smoke some CBD with you. I don't know if they've ever smoked CBD flower. They may have smoked other things, but I'm not going to call them out on that, but they would definitely probably love some CBD. So maybe you can bring some wine haze to give to them at the show. This is a good thing. I can, I love passing around the word and the uh, spirit of sunset Lake. So I will do this. I can't wait to, this is like five days away and be able to hang out with your parents. This is great. 
<laughs> yes, they're really excited about it. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the coupon code HFPOD and you get 20% off all your products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. Wonderful. And with that, we're going to transition into the sports segment of the podcast. I'm just kidding. We are going to transition into the main segment. We are going to talk about Ew. May 1992. We're going to welcome to the show. He just wrapped up writing the third season of Undermine, Mr. Benji Iso. Yay. Everyone. How hey, you ben- doing, Benji? Am I st- still really... I feel like I'm still zoomed in somehow, but I, you're, you're, we're, we're zoomed in on you right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's Great. weird. It, it's uh, not normal because <laughs> my laptop is all the way back here. But anyway, yeah, I'll just be larger than life today. It's up close and personal as we talk through May, 1992. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. And I'll tell you what fish in May, 1992 is also doing fantastic. This is a very good transitional segue. Well done. Um, <laughs> well done. Benji is great at the transitions. You got it, man. You got it. You got I'm it. Just wondering why I'm up so close when I'm so far away. Something's up with my <laughs> video, but that's okay. It's uh, it's part of the secret language. You are. Uh, you just got to play turn, turn, turn. You'll turn around three times, and then you'll be. <laughs> and then it does it. Nice. <laughs> So we have been on this journey for the last couple of months, uh, talking through Fish's Spring 1992 tour. Um, I want to go around before we jump into, we each picked a show that we want to highlight from this month, similar to what we did in March, as well as in April. We want to talk as well about like the general vibe of this overall month. Um, RJ, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts, generally speaking, about the spring 1992 fish tour? And what are your thoughts on like how they conclude this tour in May? Yeah, I mean, I think the the 41692 was one of the first, you know, real bootlegs I ever bought. Uh, you know, remember like the CD? What's that? Was it called Follow Me to Gamehenge or something? That was something it, like yeah, that. Follow Me to Gamehenge, yeah. That was like, you know, I remember f- buying that in, you know, the early days and I had the tapes also and just being like, the, the sound was so amazing in this tour and the, the soundboards were great, but also they were introducing so much, so much new music. Um, it, it's, it's a great tour. I mean, Trey's guitar is, at least in the shows that I listened to from May, I mean, it's really, really prominent and so, he's so just i don't know you can just tell that it's like building toward this peak of these early 90s where he's just unstoppable on the guitar um those are those are my my first reactions to going back to the shows yeah i kind of feel like this is the last tour where trey's guitar completely leads the band wherever they go and and we've talked a bit about this like you start to hear in the improvisation this like democratic communication that's happening on stage but like Trey's guitar is just like leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of, of, of the band, a lot of cases. And, and just like, it's the star of the overall show. So I I definitely hear that as well. Um, Megan, what are your thoughts? You, you've been on this journey. You've listened to dozens of spring 92 shows in the last couple of months. Um, I, I constantly get just like random texts from you about like how amazing this spring 92 show is and that you wish you had gone back and listened before. What have your thoughts been on listening to this tour and how do you feel like just generally speaking, the band concludes? 
Yeah, in March, it seems to me that it's really about like the connection with the audience. You know, there's lots of like secret language, jokes, banter. April then seems to be like this turn inward to the music and they start like listening to each other more intently and playing with more like a focused intent to try to go new places within jams and not just relying on Trey soloing. And I think May is just a little bit of a continuation of like almost like a little bit of a victory lap towards the end. To me, when I was listening to it, especially compared to like exactly a year later in May of 1993, 1992 May still seems like that moment when like their ambitions are still a little bit greater than their abilities as far as like a band. Like they're still not perfectly nailing. Like if you think of Ariba in 93 compared to Ariba in 92, like the difference is so incredible because they're just so nailing everything in 93. So this is kind of like that last spring tour before they are really like in that place of just where they start taking like astronomical growth. And it's so exciting thinking about where they're going this summer in 92 when they kind of have this like practice summer of what it would be like to to play all these sheds that they're going to then play in 93, right? When they're opening for like the Violent Femmes and they're going on Horde Tour. And it's like so cool to think about that's almost like a practice run for when they're going to do it all by themselves the next year. It's really cool. Bringing up the May 93 sound, we talked about uh, 5893 on the podcast. Uh, I think it was about a week, week and a half ago at this point in time. And it was so wild to listen to that in the context of listening to this overall tour and to hear this band that a year later sounds like every idea that they've had throughout 1992 is being achieved like song by song by song. And then to go back to 92 and hear like the foundations being set. I'm, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. Um, it definitely feels like a combination of this month of what we had heard throughout March and then April and kind of this reconnectivity with the audience, but also like continue to find avenues to take their, their songs outwards. Um, Benji, how about you? What are your thoughts? Well, I thought that, uh, well, for one, I think that the Spring 92 tour is kind of like a microcosm for that whole era of fish because it is, we start out, there's beta fish, baby fish, right? And beta fish is the, you know, up till 91, right? It was, it was, it was, it went from baby and beta fish, which academically and for completists like us, we want to listen to all of that. And it's really a fascinating listen from an academic standpoint, but it can also be a little bit tedious, some of those shows except for, uh, and or just, you know, like it, it's laying the, the, the groundwork for these songs and they're kind of learning how to do it, but there's the Ian McLean farms and then there's obviously the Tellurides and things like that that are great for repeated listens and going back. But for the most part, that's just kind of laying down the foundation. 92, spring 92 is really proto-fish, right? And as we established last time, April 92 is considered the first great month of fish, but I think by May 92, they become the best fucking band on the planet. <laughs> you know? um, and a lot of that, as, as you know, RJ said earlier, it, it really was the one thing about May 92 that, that is unavoidable is Trey's dominance, right? And it's, it is so mind-blowingly awesome that, uh, you know, in, in its own right. But you can hear beginning in May 92, oh, beginning in April, really you can hear uh, Mike Gordon really come a long way. Like you can hear his progress throughout this tour. And also as much as Trey leads and as much as Trey, I think we're all saying that because Trey is providing so many notes per, you know, like per second, you know? Um, and a lot of these, a lot of these mites songs, a lot of these antelopes, a lot of these yams 
all have a, a there. They remind me of the 99 trade trio tour where he had to carry the whole trio by himself. So he was kind of just fulfilling all of the functions rhythmically. He was setting the pace as well as melodically and laying down a, just an avalanche, a cascading avalanche of notes. And he does that in the in in, in uh, May of '92. But the band is with him, and it's amazing to see there are specific jams throughout this month where you can really see how the filling the hay hole uh, exercises that they did. This was a, a point. I don't know if I mean, I, as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Fish in the Here and Now, and I think that you know, like what stuff that they just did at MSG is amongst the best they've ever done. And and you know, I I uh, I, I see them as a, this continuing evolution. But I don't know. There's something from May '92 that they were kind of at a peak at, and and well, it, it went from May '92 and and through '95, through December '95, and that's that the improvisation then was turn on a dime, and it was it wasn't just now when they do type two, it the jams kind of change from texture and also who's kind of leading the ball, and in spring '92 we begin to see this type of jamming that in '93 dominates. And 94 is just over the top, and 95 brings us to December 95. And that's this roller coaster jamming where they can go to different scenes entirely. They can change up everything about the jam, and they're all together. They're all right there. And, and uh, you know, and, and Trey's leading, sure, but the rest of the band is, you know, he, they're, they're on that same cart as, as he is, 100%. And I think that May 92 really. There are some holy shit moments when you listen to May '92 that you don't you don't necessarily get those holy shit moments before the spring tour, you know. And April has has them as we uh, talked about last time, but I really feel like May just has a lot of moments where you just you look at the your speaker and you just go holy shit, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I got that yeah. throughout listening to a number of these shows, like one thing that I noticed as listening to them, like there's, there's a true combination of um, the gimmickry and the energy around uh, the secret language and narration in songs like Forbins and Ikulish that is starting to become front and center in a way. Like if you think about 1992 through 1995, this is really where all, you know, they've, they've told their game henge stories in the past, but this is really where like, the idea of getting a Colonel Forbins or an Iculus starts to take on kind of legendary status at a show because it's happening on a more like rare level, but also the stories that they're telling specifically in Colonel Forbins are going to inform shows that happen three, four weeks from now two tours from now. And they're going to start referencing these things back across larger tours. And you hear that in May in a way that I didn't hear really at all in March and started to hear uh, in bits uh, up that West coast run that we, we just like sung the praises of uh, four sixteen through four twenty one um with a few shows after that but then the com combining that with what you were just talking about benji the the type two improvisation the hay hole jamming that's starting to really take place and i think we're gonna get into that with like a few of the shows that we have here i was listening through all the shows that we have talked we, we have listed here and the the commonality with all these shows is they all seem to have rarities that you weren't hearing in early parts of the spring tour and also a further step forward with improvisation and jamming um Benji, sticking with you before we jump into our shows, um, you kind of you, you alluded to this, but just like quickly, 
How do you see the overall spring 1992 tour impacting the band going forward? Let's think in terms of like the next six to eight months before the summer or before the uh, spring 93 tour. Well, I think that they really got their set list kind of there. Their, uh, I really hesitate, especially at this phase of their career. I really hesitate to use the word uh, formula, you know, because one of the, well, I'll use it as long as we're aware that part of the formula rests on an unpredictability, right? So even, even at their most predictable, they're still impossible to predict, which is why we play these fantasy tour games and, and why they're so engaging because we can pick up pattern recognition, but, uh, but at any given time, they, 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 they were never fully predictable. But I feel that in, in, uh, Spring of 92, and particularly in May, at, at the end of what this tour is like 50-some tour dates. And by the end of that, they, they really got to see what worked and what didn't. And they really make it a, a, a point by May that every show has certain elements present. And, and the repertoire at this point has finally gotten large enough that they can do that with different songs. They don't, they're not just figuring out the same, you know, 50 songs that they, they're, they're moving more, more parts around. Uh, there's only a few tweezers this month, for instance, and all of them are, are incredible, but, um, but they, I feel like every show that they, that they do, they do, I didn't knows they do the, some acapellas, especially with the venues that they're in they're, They do the microphone list ones uh, where they're just literally singing to the crowd. They all, they do uh, the number of harpoons and, and forbins. I didn't count, but they were, Forbins and Harpoon were not rare at all in the in the spring. Of right, you know, so they they fit a narration in, and then they also made sure that if they're, if they're going to put a narration in and they're going to put in a Henrietta, then they damn well also better have these compositional show pieces, and then right next to those, what are beginning to become these improvisational flowers. Yeah, the structure of fish shows seems really well established. Like. At, by the end of this tour in a way that they'll start to have fun with breaking a year later. Um, Megan, what about you? When you think about, they're about to go on tour with Santana, they're about to go overseas. Um, and then they're going to do this Northeastern fall tour all while recording rift. What, what do you see this tour leading towards as, as we move forward? The biggest takeaway for me is that they just have a relentless energy and their stamina is just, just through the roof. I mean, you think about, the way that they're playing, there are some of these shows, you think about like the foremans and the narration, Trey goes so like into it. Like he just takes such risks. And you think about, I think I was texting you, Brian, about one of them where it's like, I think it's the show you're going to talk about in this club. And he's just going crazy and talking about like, I mean, he just completely goes, goes down the rabbit hole. And that just takes such courage. And I think they're just playing without a net in a way that they realize really benefits them. And I think that's something they're going to take with them as they start to play bigger places and start to take bigger risks and not be so formulaic. I think it's just, it's exciting to see. I think that they were really inspired by when they do take these risks, what happens and that the audience likes it. I don't think this is the last time it happens, but I feel like this is the most time that it happens where like the band is so in the weeds on who fish is and on where fish is going and what fish means. And that like sense of like Trey telling these narrations or, you know, the, there's a, the show that you're going to talk about Meg um, where he's explaining secret language and he's just like holding the crowd's attention for 
like 11 minutes of narration to explain these ridiculous like jokes that maybe 50% of the crowd is going to like really obtain. But like, you know, we look back on it 30 years from now and we're like, God, I wish that they would just do the Simpsons tease once just one time. And like, he is leaning into what it means to be in fish at this point in time, more than it's not going to die off in the coming years. Like it's not going to die off for at least until at least the end of the decade. But like, they are they embody what fish means in such a way here right now as as our wonderful co-host jonathan says sleeveless t-shirt tray shredding like a muscle man that's that's the vibe that i get here um <laughs> rj <laughs> what are your thoughts just like as as where the tour is at right now where the band is about to go what are your thoughts in terms of how this impacts them going forward i mean to me like i guess 92 and 93 are sort of in the same uh group for me but i but that might be that might be not right you know what i mean like i kind of think of like 92 and 93 being when they start figuring out the improv that will then like pick up in 94 but the way you guys are talking about 92 and 93 being that different i feel like now we need to do something on 93 next so i can so i can compare because i always like put them into the same like pre pre-94 bucket you know um and then 93 obviously there's like a lot more material that starts starts coming out but um so i don't know i feel like i'm i'm behind even though i've listened to fish for thousands of hours so now i need to like i need i need to do more of that (laughs) we talked about this a little bit in the last episode i mean i think um i think I, i think i like i agree with both sides of it like there's a part of me that here's 92 and 93 as like a pair together in a lot of senses, but also here's like once the baby grand piano comes in, once the like reality of playing amphitheaters like comes to the fore in early 1993, when they're looking ahead to that summer tour and where they're jamming at by the end of that spring 93 tour, like that's where I start to hear a separation. But I think I, I, I totally agree with you. They sound like a pair in a lot of senses to me. This is the rift era, if you will, like those songs are dominating um, they're not going to debut. Well, they'll debut a couple of hoist songs, but for the most part, hoist songs are just like not even going to come to the fore until some sometime in uh, early 1994. Um, but I don't know. I I, th- I think that there's there's a lot of like small foundational steps being taken right now that are going to lead to this massive breakthrough in August of '93. I also think they're equipment upgrade, like you mentioned, Brian, and also just like the organizational upgrade that they get in 93, it, you can hear it in the mixes and, you know, it, it sounds, they sound more professional by 93. The, that's exactly right, Megan. I was about to, to say 93, just to me, it does, I, I lump them together as well. I put not, I put 92 and 93 together as the precursor to 94, uh, which in its own way is the precursor to 95. And I guess that that made sense considering that was the era where every single night Fish felt like a better band than they had been, you know, the night just the night before. But to me, '93 is just '90 is spring '92 on a budget, uh, you know, w- w- with a budget where where you know they they have these not only and by when I say with a budget, Megan, it's the same thing you were talking about. It's it's the it's the equipment got upgraded, the rooms got upgraded. They began to see what it's like. By being on somebody else's tour, they began to see what it's like to do the to do a tour at scale like that. 
Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, there's Trey talked a lot about in the, in the late nineties, there are a lot of interviews with Trey where he talked a lot about the transition to arenas for, uh, and for that matter, summer sheds and about how you have to play differently. You have to learn how to play differently because when you're inside a hockey rink and the echo of the, the, the uh, you know, every note echoes and ricochets against the back wall and goes around, the, kind of goes around the room. It's, it's the reason to this day, arena fish is different than summer shed fish, you know? Um, and, and when they play these small places, it, they also, they play differently. They play, they play more gentle. They drop the, you, you'll never see them play take the A train and, you know, or things like that anymore because it loses. Fishman talked about this at one point about how he doesn't, with Stash, he, he could stop playing all of the, all of the hits that he was doing when they were playing theaters, because he said, you don't even hear them in the arena. So why do them? You know, uh, and, 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 and they, they dropped all these jazz standards because the jazz standards worked really, really well at, in theaters. You know, yeah. they worked really well in theaters. But in arenas, they lose uh, something in translation, and, and Fish was hyper aware of that. They play, Fish always plays the room. That's a really good point, and they're about yeah, to have is. this massive upgrade. Uh, the thing you said about this being 93 on a budget is really fascinating to me because i got to imagine that this tour was – bare bones everyone was exhausted um it was probably a ton of fun you know 1992 these guys are like late 20s at this point in time so like they they are late 20s and it's it's funny because Paige has a birthday this month and he turns 29 and uh it's during the 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 show that i picked but it's it's funny which is why i know this but uh, I wouldn't have known that offhand otherwise. But um, but yeah, it's funny because because Fishman gives shout outs to everyone in the band talking about how old they are, and they're they're all babies, <laughs> you know. Maybe which yeah, which is crazy to think about. Um, that like they, their career is about to take this massive transition. In a lot of cases, like there's a lot of fans that just don't go before 1992 when they listen to Fish. This is the same age that the Beatles were when they when let it be comes out or like when let it be was made like fish has got this very interesting luxury of being a band that was able to like make a ton of mistakes. Nobody's paying attention throughout their twenties. So that by the time that they're in their late twenties kind of figure things out, they've had, they've got kids like life has settled down a little bit more, but they're still on the road. Like now they're playing arenas and you think about like the Beatles are literally breaking up at this same exact age. But I don't know. I think about this tour of like, I mean, it's a blessing to be ignored when you're a new band for a while. They, yeah, nobody they, cares, and you just keep doing it. Fishman calls uh, during that banter. Fishman calls Langridoc, uh Grandpa because he was 32. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. Well, let's um. Should we the, dig, dive the other into funny the thing, By the way, oh the, yeah, go ahead. Just by the way, the other funny thing that with that uh, specific banter. One of Fishman's lines has become suddenly one of my favorite Fishman lines of banter, which is, anybody else out there having a birthday this year? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Dad jokes. Yeah. Ah, near dad jokes. Um, all right, let's dive into these shows. So we've each picked a show from this month that we're going to dive into. Um I'm going to start just because mine's the first show of the month and we'll kind of go around from there. I picked uh, 5-2-1992 from the Metro in Chicago, Illinois, right down the street from Wrigley Field. Um, played 
just before the Bulls would begin their second round series against the New York Knicks. I promise I'll only make like five more references to this uh, throughout the episode. But, you know, I think back to like myself at this point in time, I was seven years old. And I had zero idea that fish was playing the Metro. And if you like fast forward 30 years, like that's like the most insane uh, thing in the world to me, like spring 1992 fish playing in, in even fast forward 10 years, I would have been just like, my mind would have been blown uh, to go to a show like this. I can't believe it. Um, This show I picked partially it's Chicago. I love like Chicago in May. RJ, I think, you know, you lived in Chicago for a bit, right? Like, once spring hits in Chicago, it's like the yeah. greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, any now that it's May here and I remember what spring is like, spring everywhere is just so, so great. It's the greatest. And, and it's, I think that I'm like a fan of the winter. And then like, and then I, it, I think every year I realize that I'm actually not. I really tried this year to just embrace the experience of spring and like the slow coming out of winter that you get, because then when you get to May and the windows are open constantly and like, I don't know about you guys, but the only thing that really plays in my house at this time of year is the grateful dead. And it's just like Jerry's guitar, like walking the dogs coming back home. And like, I just hear it coming out into the street. It's the best thing in the world. But (laughs) fish plays this show at the Metro. Um, I'll just run quickly through this. This this show opens up with Runaway Jim, which is one of the, if not the greatest opener the band has. It just like immediately gets you into the show. And from there, you're into a wild Forbin's Mockingbird, Iculus Mockingbird segment that kind of gets to what I was talking about earlier of you're combining all these elements of the overall spring tour in these May 1992 shows where you get the narration, you get the, uh, the history that the band is trying to tell you like in the moment. And then you're also going to get, you know, Reba and beautiful squirming coil and stash. Um, interestingly, this was right around the time of the Rodney King trial and the riots that broke out in LA and trade directly, uh, references this in the Iculus or the famous mockingbird narration where he specifically mentions like getting away from all this chaos, all this craziness, going to a place like game engine. He specifically talks about the riots. He does it again in stash, which is a very political move for the band at the time. Um, for me though, this show is all about the David Bowie that has will the circle be unbroken, get back off fuck all fall down up, up and away random laugh and oompa pa signals all in it. And then goes into the very rarely played band crew football theme song, which was played only twice once on 416, 1991. And then here on five, two 92. And it's just like a really bizarre chant for the band and for the crew. Um, that segment to me, like I talked about a David Bowie in our April show, like that song is just breaking out of its shell and you just hear it in such a unique and incredible way here at this point in the tour. Um, plus the encore sleeping monkey, big black furry creature from Mars. It's just a fantastic overall show. And it really exemplifies where the band is at at this point in time. What were your guys thoughts on this as you were listening through? There were just some moments of the show that I felt were kind of foreshadowing evil fish in a way that you don't hear as much. And it's really exciting. You can kind of hear them playing with dissonance and darker chords and 
just sounding more dark. I think so many of these early shows are really bright and so precise and playful and funny. And to hear them start to get dark and dissonant is really awesome. I think this Bowie totally stands out. This maze is incredible. The end of Coil is just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, what he's able to do, and he doesn't even have the grand piano yet. It's just like, it's so exciting listening to that. And it's just, it's awesome. I mean, the Yem is super cool and just an awesome version too. It was, I really enjoyed listening back to the show. Beautiful introduction to the show too. These first like four songs. I mean, I would die if they opened a show like this. It's just crazy. <laughs> And there are a uh, a lot of David Bowie's from this from this tour, and um, you know I, I think we hit upon this last time when we were doing April '92, and that's that David Bowie has yet to fully mature. '94 um, to me is kind of uh, you know those '94 David Bowie's, and then th there are a bunch in the mid '90s that are just you know guaranteed highlights of whatever show that that, that they appear in. That being said, I feel that throughout this tour, I, the this Bowie that you're talking about from this show. And then a few nights later, about a week later, I want to say I have it down, written down here. Uh, yes, May 8th in this theater in upstate New York, just outside of Buffalo. Um, they do another Bowie. And the, these two Bowies combined remind me of what it must be like to have a preteen. You know, like when you're watching them turn into their own, their own <laughs> animals and their own creatures with their own ideas and, and their own personalities. Because, you know, it's, it's just beginning to pop. It, and yeah. you're just beginning to see what it's truly capable of. And I feel like this is the one example. And then the other one, like I said, is the is the upstate New York one a week from a week later. Those two in particular from this month. It's it's like, okay, you guys are on your way, you know, filling out college applications. Well, <laughs> you know? as someone who has two preteens, I can attest to that. It's also a roller coaster, which is the same way. You never know what you're going to get, right? Like you said, Brian, things change on a dime. And they totally are in these Bowies. They're just like all over the place. You never know where they're going to go. And I think that's true of teenagers too. <laughs> yeah. Teenage I, fish. I like it. I don't want to, um, I don't have a lot to add on the show front, except that like every show, like you guys said, has a Nicholas and a Forbin and a Mockingbird. It's like part of the, <laughs> the normal rotation, but these, this show is, and if you look at Chicago, it's sort of like a, a good example of their rise and how fast it was over those years. Like in 92, they're playing, in the spring 92 they're playing at the the metro right which is this venue and then by the fall they're playing at the vic and then they're playing aragon and then the next year they're playing uic and it's just like a good you can see that like just really quick rise in especially for something that's so far away from their kind of home base but they keep obviously bringing more people to these shows and by you know by the time they hit uic that's that's like you know it's so fast and it you know, you expect this in like New York, Boston, um, even Philly, but then you look at like Chicago and it's just amazing how quickly they, they ascended to like, you know, the biggest venues around. Um, and I don't, I don't, I wonder if I've been to the Metro theater cause it's still around. I think I've been to the Vic, but, um, like it's a pretty small place, right? And probably under a thousand yeah. or, or so. No, I, I think I, I did a show there with electric Beethoven. I, uh, I think it holds about 2000. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. But I will really? let me let me check on that. And my I I might be completely off. I think um, it's I think it's smaller than that, but it's it's definitely like metro I'm gonna check because I, I might be way off. Didn't that that um, was the biggest crowd I think at the end of the year? Oh yeah, it's it's a thousand. It's eleven hundred. 
1100. Yeah. And the Vic's like a little bit bigger than that, but they, they, they kept just like stepping up, you know, the Vic is a little bit more of like a proper theater. Um, it's, it's, it, it's like one of the theaters that they would play throughout 93, 94, the Aragon then gets you into like a bigger room. It's a, it's an old ballroom from the 1920s, but to go from the Metro to the Vic to the Aragon, they do that weird show at Tinley Park, which is just south of Chicago, but is like a proper amphitheater that they'd return to in 97. By all accounts, like they had just like scattered people on the lawn. But then to come back and play UIC twice in 1994. And from there, they didn't really have a venue to play in Chicago. Like they had to go out to um, the Allstate Arena because they weren't, they were never going to play like the United Center. But like that track usually happens like for like a popular Chicago band over like a decade to finally reach these arenas and fish does it in like four, two years, but in like four or five touring cycles. It's crazy. Plus it's right down the road. The Metro is right down the road from Wrigley field, which I may have mentioned before, but you know, like you get out of a Cubs game and you go and you see, Fish, I did not do research to see if there was a Cubs game that happened this day. I apologize to you all. I, I did one aspect of uh, sports research, but it's just incredible to think lazy, about. Lazy, Brian. It's just lazy. It's just lazy. It's it's unacceptable. And I think we just need to move on to the next show, which is uh, RJ's show from um, our rivals, our Midwestern rivals down I-94 in Detroit, Michigan. Tell us about 5692. Okay, I will. But but first, I will say that if you did go to Wrigley Field that day on May fifth, nineteen ninety two, you would have seen the Cubs beat the Astros eight to four, and then go down to the go down to the show after. That's so maybe it's for better than what happened to me in two thousand five. Yeah, when I saw the Cubs lose eight to zero to the Reds, and then I went down and saw Trey play with seventy volt parade. But that's for another podcast. Maybe for a, a time machine, you maybe you should put that on the list. The five five ninety two that would was, be good. 70 volt parade was back in the metro no they were at uh uh what is the northerly island oh yeah okay i was gonna say yeah yeah um okay so <laughs> we'll talk about 70 volt parade another time um <laughs> but the 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 show i i picked was five five six so a few days later like brian said sort of a if i had been um three years older this could this could have been a, a hometown show for me but but i i wasn't so i didn't i didn't get to go to this but um it's saint andrew's hall and i'm I, it's just like this is a hundred year old venue that still still does shows um still does shows now um and i'm gonna do what i did last time and i'm gonna share a photo of the inside of saint andrew's hall for the people oh, watching wow. people listening yeah. you're not gonna be able to see this but you can google it um I love kind how the cool. lighting guy has a Red Wings hat on. Like yeah, just, you got to so you know that. where you are. You, you got to do that. Um, so anyway, a lot of a lot of bands have played here in in downtown Detroit, and it's it's sort of a destination for uh, for for a lot of bands. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think this is a cool venue, and I, I actually I actually don't think I've been there, but like you know, the Chili Peppers and Nirvana and and Paul Simon and Bob Dylan and all kinds of people have come through this small venue in downtown Detroit and Fish was one of those. But um, this show is, I mean, I guess it's sort of similar <laughs> to the show that Brian picked because three days, four days later, they played another Foreman's Mockingbird in the, fir- in the first set, you know? It's like, can you get two 
tube forbidden mockingbirds in 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 four days is a is a pretty pretty wild um and <laughs> i don't know so how many spoiled May, back but, then yeah exactly but like jonathan just said um they were sort of planting the seeds of this overall mythology which is a good point um and i think that's that's definitely part of the part of the deal here but um i i, I also just want to say uh benji i think you mentioned that there were like not that many tweezers the five three tweezer um the day after the show brian highlighted was really good but this this first set in a uh, five six has a really great reba jam where you can hear mike like most prominently of all in this um in 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 terms of the, the jam and like there's a maze attila and a brother in the first set that all just have these like really loud and really fast tray solos that are just outrageous i mean it's like it's crazy to me how how much how prominent his sound is but also just how like how much he's just like you said earlier megan they're just they're so fast and they don't slow down at all and then the second set is there's all kinds of crazy shit happening like so there's a, a forbidden mockingbird in the first set and then the second set there's a, you enjoy myself into shaggy dog acapella without you know it in like after that there's a all things reconsider then bouncing then uncle pen then chalk dust then terrapin with fishman on the vacuum then take the a train then golgi and it's just like what a what a crazy set to um without a lot of jamming you know just running through these songs but absolutely just like kind of just shredding everything um really just amazing so the shag the what you enjoy myself with like kind of a long a little bit of a longer jam into a acapella shady dog shaggy dog is a pretty cool highlight um but i like this show a lot and i think i had the tapes and i hadn't gone back to it in a while so it was fun first uh shaggy dog since november 3rd 1988 449 shows which which makes me think this was really kind of the low-key first big fish bust out (laughs) because you know just looking at the years you know this was 92 uh, it, it it's rare that there could even be a bust out at that point, but I guess it's at, their, at that point in their career where where something like that is noticeable suddenly for the first time. You know, like in '91, there are some bust outs, but they were a lot less exciting um, because right. they were overall. But but this this if I had been there that night, it would have been that's a gem. You know, that's a gem. Yeah, it's huge. I'm looking at the so Shaggy Dog's been played 17 times overall, uh, from 10:15:86, a really famous show at Hunts, through 11:3:88. That's where you get um, 13 of the 17 versions, and then you get this version 5:6:92, 450 show bust out, 10:29:95, uh, 359 show bust out. 622 2012 574 show bust out and then 1030 2021 a 332 show bust out it's so wild to see like a song like this that lingers throughout the 80s and then is gone and then comes back in just like these little pockets throughout the band's history um yeah that would be a really interesting series now that um the way that you mentioned that what were what were like the first five legitimate fish bus dots we're gonna yeah i'm putting that in the dock we're, we're gonna we're gonna question. figure that out that'll put be it in the the put it in put it in put it in, put it in the root dock <laughs> <laughs> yeah this show it's wild like the joke being they played colonel forbin's famous mockingbird four days apart from each other and 
we just kind of see it on a set list. We're like, yeah, that's 1992. Like, it's just so wild that, as Jonathan said, as you said, RJ, like, they're planting these seeds of like this mythology that's going to build over time. And like, I, there's no way that they're thinking at this point, like, well, these songs are going to become a bust out because they're such staple songs at the moment. But like, you look back at this period now and you think anybody could have caught a narration at that point. And now if you catch one, it's like once every 70 or 80 shows and it's this massive deal in the venue online, all that sort of stuff. Anybody else have thoughts about this show? I just want to say I'm not a huge fan of the vocal jam, but on this run, they're actually pretty great. And I love how this one ends in Shaggy Dog, but I think they just, they're just really fun and interesting. Oh, they're all really different. It's cool. I think you've come to the right podcast if you are not a uh, fan of vocal jams. I'll just say that. Oh, good. We finally have something we don't like on HF Pod. Fans will be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I Someone like create a thread about it. We don't like something. <laughs> well, I I think the Voto Jams used to be a lot. I mean, I think when I think of Voto Jams, I think of like Gunnison, Colorado, with that you enjoy myself. That just uh, you know uh, that the whole. I mean, that you enjoy myself was historic for many reasons. But but uh, I think that there was a, a golden era of the Voto Jams, and yeah. I wonder sometimes. Uh, this isn't the first time I've, I've pondered this, but I wonder if some of those were at least discussed beforehand. Or if they just were in a different place and then they cycled through all those ideas, because now it's just phonetic. And I think that's what we all agree on that isn't necessarily, doesn't always work. But when they would use Vocal Jam to kind of do teases and references of other songs and end up in, you know, a Pink Floyd Vocal Jam, you know, or, or things like that. I mean, that that's when it was really cool. The Incredible Perp says, I love them and I specifically miss the weak pog vocal jams that they used to do. And this is the beautiful thing. We all have we all have different takes on what works in fish. I, I will just say, fast forward eight years, the vocal jam to end out 1.0, one of the prettiest things I've ever heard Fish do. It's one of my favorite musical moments that the band has ever has ever played. So uh, you know, we can we can knock vocal jams, but there are some good vocal jams, you know. We gotta I also really loved the one from the ninth cube. That was mm, incredible. That was a great one. That was a good one. Um all right, that was a really good one actually now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that was a great one. Um Benji, I believe you are up next with 5-9-1992 from Syracuse, New York. We're back in the homeland. We're back in Gamehenge, northern upstate New York here at this point in time. Tell us a bit about this show. Well, I chose this show because it actually turns out to be my second favorite show from this month. And we'll uh, hopefully, since none of us chose my favorite show, hopefully we'll get to that. We'll have uh, a minute to, to talk about that. But um, I chose this show uh, primarily because it was the cassette that I had driving around Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, when I first got really into fish and, you know, was voraciously trading tapes. And I wanted to get all the harpoons that I could because of, you know, just their harpoons. But uh, this one had Smells Like Teen Spirit is the song that, that, uh, that Jimmy listens to and that is teased. And it was concurrent with in 94, which is when I would have gotten this uh, tape. You know, when, when Kurt Cobain died, there was a rumor, and I and I, I mean, it did not come from any place substantial, and, and I, I don't know if there was any truth to it at all. But the rumor that I heard on my on college campus 
was that Trey was really freaked out by Kurt Cobain's suicide. You know, um, maybe true, maybe not. I mean, you know, and if it was true, maybe as much as all of us were. You know, but I just remember that concurrently with getting this cassette and listening to it and hearing the Smells Like Teen Spirit. Thing, and also thinking at that point, Fish was such a, a unique entity and unlike anything I'd heard in my entire life. And I was already, you know, a huge music fan by this point with, you know, amassing as much knowledge as I, as I possibly could of all these genres and deep diving every which way and having it really be my passion. And when Fish came along, they sounded unlike any of the things that I had been listening to before, with the exception, of course, of maybe some Frank Zappa, some Grateful Dead, you know, their influences. But but they were this, this own entity, and to hear them tease Nirvana, which was a band that I loved, you know, in 91, and still at this point, I mean, to this day, uh, it was, to me, it was, it was just, there was a cool element to that that I really liked. But the show itself really holds up. Uh, I think that, Another thing, by the way, about the tape trading that we don't get these days is I traded for the second set. I never heard the first set un until um, last month, you know, which was also a really cool little uh, element. But um, I think that you can always tell about a tour and where Fish is as a band by the shape and the size of the tweezers. You know, um, they're these, they're, they're metrics, they're these hallmarks, and, and they really can tell you a lot about where the band is at that, at that given point. And this, the tweezers from this month are no exception. And from this one in particular, it's nearly 15 minutes long, which at that time was, was the equivalent of, of a 25 minute jam these days. And it's brimming with ideas from the very start. It's just brimming with ideas. And it's not just the tray shedding, sh uh, shredding that we're talking about. That too, that, that's hands down what propels this jam forward, but it's brimming with ideas that the entire band just jumps on and they go off and these, and it's not just, you know, this, this big canvas. Instead, they're, they're telling a story. They go different places with it. So I love that about the show. And then the rest of the show is that prototype that we've been talking about, how they settle in. I mean, it opens with, with Runaway Jim and Foam, which, uh, you know, it was such, uh, those two paired together, our, our classic pairing, uh, their classic pairing for a first set opener. That pairing extended into the mid '90s, uh, late '90s as, as as well. But I remember summer '94 of Runaway Jim. If they opened with Runaway Jim, you could you could reasonably guess they were going to go into foam. Um, Antelope, which closes the set again, also a big set closer always, is just coming into itself. It's like the preteen that we talked about with, with David Bowie. This antelope is basically screaming, pay attention, because I'm about to go places. <laughs> you know, not not just tonight. I mean, I'm about to go places down the line. You know, and so it's just it it pops right out of your stereo like that. Um, they bring up uh Fitchman's mom, uh you know, it's um to to talk about Fishman rather than play the vacuum during they didn't know. Uh she was meant to play the vacuum. She ends up giving a speech. Um, and then Fishman oh, later on. <laughs> and then Fishman Paige. later You can hear Paige. Even Paige says, like, play the vacuum, Mimi. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. Like, okay, okay. No, like, you know, she's like, my son, we always knew he was going to play drums in front of a large audience. And look at him now. You know, um, <laughs> it's just, it, it just funny. And then, of course, there's the, there's the, the proper Henrietta later on in the show with, with the Captain and Rosie closes with the poor heart and this point it, i think it's neat that every show they try to they try to do a, a bluegrass tune you know and and 
We see that develop uh, again in the next few years. Um, and then closing with the with the tweezer reprise. To me, on paper, let alone uh, in action, it looks like the uh, a very prototypical fish show. You know, it has got all the elements perfectly placed and uh, and perfectly played as well. So, yeah, this tweezer Davies Energy Guide teases in it, and it just like you're you're totally right. It's brimming with ideas. I was listening to this today, having. Your second set start with Susie, Divided Sky, Tila, Tweezer, Harpua, Llama is just ridiculous. Uh, I, I can't, I can't really fathom what it would be like seeing that live. Um, Tila's are placed so well throughout this tour; it's like a large theme of the overall tour. Um, but yeah, I love this show. I love any. I, I'll pretty much listen to any fish show in upstate New York and just be happy. And I, I, I traveled to upstate New York only once in my life. My my wife spent a year in college at um, St. Lawrence University in Canton, and we went to visit it in 2012 when we were on a cross country road trip. And like just driving through upstate New York, I felt like I was driving through fish tapes. And like I had to listen to just old fish shows because you're on like these two lane highways going by farmland. You're like right in line with Ontario when you like look at the, an actual like map of like where you are. It's like the most like rich soil in uh, the Northeast. It's just like a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Amazing restaurants, amazing little towns. And uh, you just drive through these little towns that like the only reason I know some of these towns is because i listen to a lot of fish um and like i was getting just super excited by highway signs of like oh my god look there's that town that fish played you know and, and all this sort of stuff throughout north, the northeast but um one I'm quick so stat i'm not the about. only one to do that brian my wife even thought i was crazy and i was like that's connected to new york they played I, I, a really I good show there so much better too. tonight knowing that i'm not alone it's like Binghamton, Binghamton. Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, I was just thinking about, we, we were talking about like how many Forbins, how many Harpuas are in this tour. And I was looking it up. There were uh, four Harpuas that were played on this tour alone. 326, 44, 422, and 5.9. And there were, I believe at last check, nine Colonel Forbin and Mockingbirds. 319, 324, 331, 416, 421, 424, 52, 56, and 517. The idea of seeing multiple Forbins and multiple or multiple Harpuas in a single tour is just it's it's not realistic to any of us following fish today. And it's just wild that like there was a point in time where like you could all but guarantee be guaranteed of seeing that. Megan, you have picked what may be the strongest show of this month, a show that mm. I will admit I was considering picking as well because it's just an amazing show. I'm glad that I picked what I did. But tell us what you have picked out here for, for the final show that we're going to highlight of May 1992. So I picked 514 at the very famous Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York. And this I picked – the show's amazing – it's an important show for a lot of reasons, but also I just have a soft spot for the cap. As someone who grew up in the Midwest, listening to the famous Grateful Dead shows there, I'm a huge Janis Joplin fan, and knowing that she wrote Mercedes-Benz in the bar next door and performed it for the first time sitting on the edge of that stage, it's just a special room, and now I go see shows there all the time, and it's just one of those places that 
you know, it's kind of like rock and roll legacy. It's just a special venue. And I love imagining fish there in 92. They, the energy was really big that night. They, you know, they were, they were starting to outgrow these kinds of venues. This was a sold out show. It's a big deal for them. Yes, Shana. Yay, Cap. That's who I go see all these shows with at the Cap. So we love it. I think that this show is interesting too because there's a few songs that this is the last time they're ever played is this night, which is just really interesting to me. The first set, they opened with Susie, but then all things reconsidered into Sloth, which is the second night in a row that they've done that, which really... You can see that happen a lot on this tour, and it shows they're trying segues out. They're probably rehearsing them. They're thinking a lot about song placement. They repeated eight songs from the night before, so they're definitely, you know, they have a lot of songs that are in, like, constant rotation. I think Maze is really when things start to get super interesting. The jamming is, like, super fast and intense. Paige is on, like, an organ-sounding synth or an organ. I'm not sure. I don't know the technical information, but Trey's solo is just, like, wailing on these like super high notes and this is actually the longest maze to date so it's the first time that they're kind of actually like taking maze out on a long walk and it's creepy they're doing those echoes with the vocals which they do a lot on this tour and it's an interesting thing that they're doing and then this antelope at the end is just big and boisterous and you mentioned it earlier brian but having all these instructions it's one of the first times I feel like that they're playing really great music underneath the instructions in a way that sounds really kind of seamless and super cool. And they play all the different instructions and then they go back and Trey talks about each one of them and they introduce the new, I think it's all fuck symbol. Um, and it's so cool to hear him. I think it's almost like this was an important show to say, like, we're going to have all of these symbols signals that lots of people know about now but i want this on record like at the cap like these are the signals there's five of them this is the fifth one and it's just an awesome version of i think if you're only going to listen to like a few versions of the secret language which you should you should listen to lots but this antelope is pretty incredible because it's it's just it's just huge it's a monster it's super important and set two is incredible i think this fluff head is just it's it's bluesy it's like really, it's not perfectly played, but there are just some absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous sections. And I think landing into Eliza, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of music that Fish has, this is the last time they have ever played that song. What? Why? That is the bust out we need. Um, only played 22 times, which is pretty crazy in those two years from 90 to 92. Maybe it'll come back this summer. We'll put that on our list. I would love an Eliza bus. It's short enough. It shouldn't be too hard for them to relearn it. And it just like has such a late night kind of groove to it. And like, I don't know. Writing songs about your kids always seems like a good idea. And this song, like it's not saying anything about his daughter, but like, you know, just having this song out there is like that. Written before her birth. Before her birth. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like it's it's that sort of statement about like I don't know. It's I love it. It's special. It's meaningful. Uh, they should definitely bring it back. So you guys um, by you guys not meaning you, but meaning fish, when, since you're obviously listening, that what we're saying is bring back Eliza's and also regular Forbin's regular Harpoos. Thanks. Yeah. 
Exactly. exactly. And all things reconsidered. Mm, yes. Yes. So good. And Lushington. All things re-reconsidered. Re-reconsidered. And then, of course, you have to talk about the week of hog, which is just unbelievable. The weight in weight. the hog is so good. Weight. Weight. And it's so good because this song, this is the last time they play it, which is also kind of sad. But this song is just so funny out of the way it started, the first time they did it, and everybody hating it so bad, and the audience like screaming at them and yelling at them, and them deciding like, oh, no, we're actually going to troll the audience and play this now, which is just so fish and so who they are. And it's done masterfully in this. It's just if they find it after this like trilling little riff and it's just it's absolutely perfect. I was laughing too, looking up like the lyric. If you look up the lyrics of this song, it's hysterical. It's like, wait, 56 times. Wait, 34 times. <laughs> it's just so stupid and fish like in the best way. Um but yeah, I think that this is, and then this beautiful McGruff and this possums, like dark, soulful chords, riffs during the jam. I mean, there's a lot of like bluesy and like almost like, I don't know, just more interesting moments in this in this show that to me are just really beautiful. You've got those weird Spider-Man teases and antelope too that is just like, the show's got it all. It's a super cool show. Yeah, it's really interesting that this show is played at the cop because it, it feels in a lot of cases like the band recognizes the history of a venue and plays a really remarkable show there at the same time, which is not something that they do throughout their entire career, where they play a venue that is like very clearly on their list of places that they want to play. But when you think about this in the context of the overall tour, we're four nights away from the tour concluding. They're right back in their home territory. Like this has to feel in a lot of cases. Um, oh, and shout out to uh, Wilkes one uh, who's been hanging out the whole show, attended the Capitol show on 514, 1992. Share one of your thoughts here and we're going to post it and we're going to talk about it. But um, what are your, what are one of your memories of that show? Cause that is really cool that you are here. I, I, I totally get you. I, it almost feels Meg. you said something like this is going to be like the secret language at the Capitol theater. Like it's going to be preserved for time. You almost get a sense that like they were, thinking of this show as being an official release at the time, just in the sense that like there's every aspect of fish 1992 that's here. Benji was Benji's talked a lot about the formula and the format that's been set from a set listing standpoint. And it's all here in this show where you get early first set riff songs, you get the secret language in like a big first set closing run, like an antelope. Um, you're in a point in their history. Go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing about the show, uh, we almost touched upon it. Megan, you went right to the Wikipod, but the Mites song, it, it, you know, earlier in this episode, I, I talked about uh, the how this tour has some holy shit moments. This Mites song had a holy shit moment where I'm looking at this, I'm going, what? You know, like, why didn't I remember this from the, because I've heard this show, you know, multiple times, you know, over the course of the years, but re-listening to it. I just I, I had forgotten about that in listening to this whole month. I don't think there was a, a moment when I, I think that there's a shift in Mites grooves that happened over the course of this of this tour where it went from being a compositional showpiece, uh, kind of centered around hydrogen in the middle, right? So it was this compositional showpiece that they did, and it went from that into uh it suddenly they have the ability to make it an improvisational experiment as well. 
And that, you know, 93 is when we really see that blossom uh, at, at 93 and beyond. But in 92, I mean, this one in particular really screamed to me that there's a lot. I mean, the, the, the wiki podcast we're all talking about has that weight jam in the middle. And, and but it's, it, it's, you know, it's preceded by this might song that just has some unbelievable improvisation in it. Yeah. The improvisation is there and you get the gimmicks, you get songs like McGrupp that I'm just going to check this live in the moment. I think this might, this is pretty rare on this tour. Uh, we can add that to the list of things we want to come back more often. Too. This is the, this is the only McGrupp of the spring 92 tour. I thought that that was, that was right. It was played on 1231 and then 50 shows later it's played at the cap. And then it's played um, only two more times in 1992, 715-92 and 1127-92 again from the Capitol theater. So it's, it's a rare song to be played at this point in time. Plus you get stashed very late in the second set. There's just a lot of cool elements to this show that like really feel like they're embodying the entire history of this venue as they're playing this show. And you're so close to the tour finale that you're at a point where like, okay, we've got to throw something down and we're at a point where like, you know, we we're just feeling like everything being on the table. Any other thoughts well, you guys have about this? Yeah, well, uh, I think that wraps up this this uh, the Capitol Theater. But but can I tell you guys what my absolute favorite show of this month is? Absolutely. So uh, I almost wish I picked it. Uh, I picked Syracuse because I already gave you the reasons why. But it uh, is five seventeen from a couple nights later from the Achilles Rink uh, in Union College, Schenectady, New York. Um, it's in a 2,500 uh, room, uh, or rather a nice rink, uh, at the end of this, you know, 53 show tour. And it was the only show from this tour to get the live fish treatment. I know. Um, it's so, crazy. And, and when you listen to it, though, you understand why. It consistently blew me away. And I forgot that it was a live fish release and I, and I was listening on a re-listen and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this rings a bell. <laughs> and it has uh, an all-timer possum and, it, and Harry Hood uh, all-timer for time. Uh, the, the Harry Hood is just, has, you know, talking about brimming with ideas and, and this freshness and this urgency. And that was present, you know, uh, it has a silliness and the brother kind of goes off the rails and then goes right into sanity, uh, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has all those elements. It has a Forbins mockingbird complete with, a really cool, really cool narration. Yeah. Trey's like, they're like on ice and they're like lifting up and Trey's like surrender to the void cloyed. Like it's really it's cool. Exactly, like, it's, it's very similar to the, to the, it reminded me of the, of the Forbins from 1230 93, um, you know, from, from Portland uh, because he's using the, he's using the, the ice rink and, and talking about how there's the ice beneath it. But uh, yeah, what an incredible, what a, and the stash is great. It's just an incredible show. It's just an incredible show. That That's a me. great one. That was my second choice for show we were going to talk. I was going to talk yeah. about because it's just yeah. incredible. I mean, in that sanity too, there's like moments when you can hear them almost thinking like, 
can we go somewhere else with this? I don't know. There's just, <laughs> you can hear them almost like, like trying different things out. Like they start to explore space a little bit, but then it just like quickly picks back up into like the silly lyrics and you're kind of like, no, just stay there. Like, it's so great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder too, I mean, hindsight gives us the ability to, to look at it with these filters, but it's the end of this massive, you know, 50 some date tour, 53 date tour. Uh, it's, it's right before the tour closer. It's right after the Capitol theater. And as we've learned from seeing Fortnite New Year's runs and stuff like that, Halloween runs, Oftentimes, after a big show that they're that they're looking forward to, and you know, it's, suddenly this is their chance to to blow like all that nervous energy is out the window, and now they can by being relaxed, they it allows them to 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 take more risks, and oftentimes those those shows are 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 the keepers, but but you know where a lot of this magic happens. On the other hand, though, it wasn't in front of nobody. It was a 2,500, you know, seat place, which was which was big for that. That's twice the size of the Capitol Theater, you know. And so I don't, I don't know what the capacity, I don't know what the ticket sales were that night, but the fact that they're there in this ice rink, they're clearly excited about that, and they're clearly excited to be at home. I imagine that probably a lot of their friends and and their fans from that whole region, they're they're you know from from their headquarters are attending after you know giving them a grand welcome after being out west. And uh, and they, it's kind of like the idea of the hero, where they go out and they they, they have to leave their homeland, and they 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 get all this wisdom and these magical gifts, and they they have to come back and re- return with the boon. Well, yeah, it's interesting because you know we we talked about this in the last two episodes, and I hadn't mentioned it here today yet. Like the the track of this tour, it begins in the Northeast. It begins in, you know, early March um, on the East Coast is you get these like whispers of really nice days that are to come. Um, and they go throughout the Northeast. They go down to the South. They end March in Missouri. They start this journey out West with April 1st, Kansas, go up the uh, Pacific coast and they end April in Wisconsin. They've come back across the Northern route, I-90, I-94 into Madison, Wisconsin. And then they do, uh, May starts in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, and it goes through the Midwest and then up into New York and does this like loop and lap around New York, Massachusetts before ending here in Schenectady before going back to Burlington. And it's, it's a sense of like, we're home but we've got one more night to let our hair down and to just let loose as much as possible before we get back to the Flynn, um, which will be their first Flynn show in some time. And the Flynn felt very much like a tour closer that they, they, I don't know if they, I'd have to think about it. I don't know if they do the the type of tour closers anymore that I'm thinking about, but in the nineties when they, they close, it was kind of like they're, they're playing their favorite songs that they love to play because they know, they know that they're not going to get a chance to play them for a while. And and the, there's an energy to it, but it's usually not the best show of the tour. You know, the the, right. the, opening, the opening night and the closing night are usually not the the best of the tour. And and I feel like with the Flynn, they came back. There's a lot of filler, uh, um, a lot of filler on the the live fish release from the Flynn, so you can hear it in in, in high def quality. And it's fantastic playing. It's it's a band that just played 53 dates. You know, and and uh, are as tight and and in as as best spot as, as they've ever been at that point, but the night before is where they you know is where it all hangs out. It's also interesting. I'm looking at this. The Schenectady show is played on a Sunday night, which means that the Flynn was played on a Monday, which 
you wonder, I, I don't know this in the moment, but you wonder if the Flynn was added late as um, let's do one more show. The Flynn's open on Monday night. Let's play one more night on tour because this, you, you would have people uh, Schenectady is a quick drive, you know, relatively speaking from Vermont. So you'd have people in their, you know, larger, you know, nucleus of, of Northeastern fish fans being able to make the journey. It's a bigger venue, as you said. So like a lot of people can get in, there's probably tickets available for lots of people, but, um, this is a great show. The, the other one that I had, I had listed that, that we should, uh, at least highlight is five, eight, which we can do quickly from, um, North Tonawanda, New York at the Riviera theater. Uh, just a really strong set list. You've got a curtain cavern Reba, three songs to open a show. Come on. That's just amazing stuff. Um, that's the one I mentioned too, with the David Bowie, great David Bowie with, uh, all Fall Down. um, and then you've got just like random songs in the second set with Magia, Maze, You Enjoy Myself kind of all together and a big black furry creature from Mars um, uh, encore. And that is a Friday night show. So, you know, you're, you're seeing the last week of the tour at that point in time. It's their first show in the Northeast proper. They played Cleveland the night before. And so it's really where you're starting to see like the end of the tour happen. But um, beautiful Reba too. Beautiful Reba. Beautiful Reba. I mean, this is just these last 10 days. It had to feel like such a victory lap for the band. And mm-hmm. I think like, you know, the Syracuse and the Schenectady and the uh, Porchester shows, the cap, the cap shows that you guys highlighted here really just showcase a band that is in kind of this dual celebratory mode while also looking ahead, which is some of my favorite type of fish, regardless of the era. And it feels like a victory lap for them for sure. Like you just said, but it also feels like a victory for us going back as fish completists going back to listen to it. Cause some of those March shows, if you really want to be a completist and listen to every one of them, it can be a little tedious. There's the, yeah. you know, you get to see some, some really bright moments and you, and there's some excitement there, but it's not edge of your seat always. Whereas I feel by May, the, the, these last 10 shows are just edge of your seat. You know, there's the, the, just stuff that to this day, listening with current fish and, and all this stuff that's been, you know, it's been really exciting to be, to be diving into the MSG shows and listening to those on repeat and, uh, and 4.0 fish and all the gems and to have, the, to listen to this side by side with it, it holds, its, you know, it, it definitely holds its own. Yeah. Yeah, it holds its own and you can hear we've it's been really fascinating to hear this tour because you're right, like we've heard the foundation of where modern fish is going, and then we've heard them expand on it. And as they leave this tour, we're going to see a band move into probably their most celebrated period. And all of that has to have a foundation to it. And there's a foundation to this foundation. We can continue to go deep as much as possible here. We can go back and do 91, 90, 89. We can do all of this. We've, we're, we're doing this in scattered ways, but like focusing on spring 92 as kind of this starting point foundationally has been really enlightening and really fun for me. So, um, and I hope it has been for you and I hope it has been for you all out there, dear listener. Um, last question for the two of you. What is your favorite month? What was your favorite show from the overall Spring 92 tour and why? Megan, we're going to start with you. I think I have to say April. I really love that West Coast run of the April shows. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. I'll have to remember which one I said last time, but I really liked the 416 and the 421 show. And 
I just think April, there's something magical going on out there on those West Coast shows. It really is. Benji, what about you? Are you going to differentiate or you got the same answer? Well, so, okay. So as we established last time, April 92 is considered the first great month of fish, and which I agree with. But what I wasn't counting on was that it's the first great month of fish, but fish was still getting better by the day at that point. So I think much to my surprise, I think that in the past couple of weeks listening to, to, to May, I, I, I think that some of these shows are really, maybe it's because I wasn't as familiar, whereas April 92, I'd heard a lot of uh, over the years. In May, I only heard a few shows uh, over the years and going back and diving in. I was just blown away by the consistency of them and how every night, every night they, they feel like a better band than they were the night before. So I think May 92 might be, you know, April is when the first great month, but May is when they're becoming the greatest fucking band on the planet. But all that, all the semantics aside, my favorite show still has to be, uh, it's uh, the 421 from Eureka, California, which was my pick for the April. And, uh, you know, show that we did. And the reason being is that even though in May there's a little bit more shreddiness and there's a little bit more of the, you know, the some of the fish that I love, the edge of your seat, holy shit moments from Trey, in the mites grooves and in the tweezers, the 421 has the silliness of fish in a campground in, you know, in Mendocino County, California, uh on 421 so you can you know imagine what's what you can smell in the air that night and you can hear it with the the lively up yourself you know it it just it's a band that was not in the spotlight you know like it 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 was like they were acting as if nobody was listening and they have the capitol theater show they're in the spotlight right they know they're in the spotlight and they're performing as such but on a campground out west you know, it, it was almost like a day off for them, like where they got to play and they got to, that, that lively up yourself is just so playful. And they were just playing to crack each other up at that, at that point. And, and that night to me just has this, this lighthearted playfulness that, that we still get sometimes in shows, but it's very rare that we get to because they always have a spotlight on them now. Yeah, I'm torn. I, I'm, I'm inclined to say April but there's a part of me that listening to these May 92 shows was a, quite a revelation. Like I knew April was great going into it and I still know, and like listening to it as, as consistently as we were, but there is something about these May shows where they're bringing all these things that they've learned over the last two months and they're applying them across each show. Um, so I, I'm going to remain undecided because I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm wondering if May is the stronger month in my mind right now. I don't know. It's weird. It's really that, weird. You you are verbalizing my inner conflict. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a serious conflict right now. But you know what I think it is? It's that it's that you know, like you said, May feels like a victory lap. So that's what it is. April, they won. They won April, yeah. and now they get to celebrate. And and the celebration has the grand finale fireworks. And I think you know the thing that's that adds challenge to it is like that week, that four sixteen to four twenty one. The that is one of the strongest weeks of fish history, no matter what. And that probably puts the month over if you're if you're trying to like compare, you know, one versus the other. Um I think I was I walked away from these May listens 
thinking less about the process of, okay, I have to listen to a bunch of May 1992 fish. I know I'm going to love this, but like, you know, we're, we've got a podcast to do, so we've got to talk about this to then putting them on and being like, holy crap, there's so much here to dive into. And, um, whereas April, it was kind of this, like, every time I go back to those mid April shows, I'm like, ah, this is just, this is such a singular moment, but I will agree with consensus. Um, 421 is by far, I still haven't heard a show that I would put on over 421 in, in May 92. And if I had to have like a desert Island, you get one fish show from each tour. No, no Ammies, you know, like you can't pick any more shows, Brian, you have to have one show from each tour. I'm picking 421 92 without question. Cause that show just like mm-hmm. that feels like future fish in a way that nobody could really tell at that point in time. So, um, this has been really fun to spend the last couple of months going through this tour. Um, we are going to be doing some dives into summer 92 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of that. Um, we will also do some dives into fall 92 to celebrate the anniversary of that as well as new year's Eve 92. So there's a lot we're still going to cover this, this 30 year look back. I think I've, I feel like I've learned a lot about this period. It's been really fun to talk with the three, with the two of you, I guess the three of us about this really important shift in fish history at this point in time so thank you all for being willing to go down this uh, rabbit hole we we are on a break from listening to spring 90 or from listening to 1992 fish for some time but this has been a lot of fun benji as always it is incredible to have you on we're gonna have to have you back on to talk through whatever shows you're at this summer as well as more 1992 and and more there's more to talk about I am headed to Charleston, so uh, I'm really excited about that. The venue looks really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for floor seats, but but uh, but, uh, but I'm sad otherwise, and I, I just can't wait. It's, I, I expect a lot from this tour. Well, let's have you on to review one of those shows. Let's let's we'll, we'll text about that. That'd be awesome. And um, just publicly, I want to give a huge round of applause to Benji for all of your work on Undermine Season Three. You you, you came on to write for the show for Season Two and uh, stuck around here for season three. You and I have spent hours and hours on the phone. It has been so enjoyable. Uh, you did an incredible job documenting the Baker's Dozen. Um, our last episode comes out next Wednesday. Um, but we're we're done. You know, like we got all of our homework done early. So now we can just enjoy this episode, which oh, just came out today on Jamfield and, uh, and our next one, which will come out uh, next Wednesday. The homework took a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> but here it, it always is. does. It <laughs> so. always it but I feel works. like it's like a service you guys are doing. This is like an important moment in history. The, we need this stuff documented. You know, it's like anthropologically or sociologically, whatever you want to say. This is important information. So I look forward to undermine the minute it drops. I'm so excited every week. It's been the, awesome. The band advertised their season when they when they raised the giant donut up at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of their, of their New Year's in April show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was fun. It's been fun with you guys here to go back and listen to spring 92 and discover May in a way that I hadn't before. I mean, as we all said, we know April's great. We all, we all know that. And, uh, and, but May to that was, that was a wonderful, wonderful little, you know, uh, deep dive. And with the Baker's dozen, again, you know, I think we, we all, we saw it in real time play out and we we got to revisit it since but revisiting it in this way of deep diving really was cool it it was really a lot of fun 
Right there with you, man. We'll have you back on for Charleston and uh, safe travels and enjoy the fish here. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Bye, no Benji. Question, Thank man. you so much. All right. So we're going to be transitioning now from looking back into the past of fish to looking forward to the future. We have two episodes coming up next week where we're going to be talking 2022 fish. Our first one I can't wait for. I'm really excited for. I've already started prepping for it. Um, one of the first HF pods I listened to with Jonathan on it, um, who if you're still watching, hey, man, hey, we can't wait to have you back. Um, Jonathan built a live bait for the summer 2015 tour. And I was like, that's such a great freaking idea. The band does this. Why don't we all do this? And he did such a great job compiling it. And then they played it at the end of the episode. So um, we're going to do that. And we're going to release it along. We're going to release our live bait um, uh, either with the episode when it comes out or shortly thereafter. We'll, we'll figure out that whole process. But we're all picking a jam from either the venue or the region that the band is playing at the same way the live bait does. And we're going to release our own HF pod live bait. And we're going to be talking through that next Monday. I can't wait for that. It's going to be really, really fun. And then on Wednesday, next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about our summer 2022 wish list. What songs does fish have to play or else what songs have to be jammed or else what shows have to be good or uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just, you know, what do we want to hear this summer? It's going to be fun. It's going to be loose. And then um, we'll be coming back the following week. We'll be starting our quick hits to recap uh, summer tours. So I'm really excited. Meg, are you excited? I'm so excited. I can't wait to start thinking about summer. It's my favorite time of the year. Are you, you're not catching any shows this first run, are you? No, cause I'm still teaching. So I'm not going to catch any. It's kind of a bummer, but um, I won't be seeing them until July. It's okay. It's, it's going to be, I'm really excited for just having like 10 days of, Hey, another fish show tonight. And I'm going to webcast it. Hey, another fish show. And then we're going to talk about it and then I'm going to listen to it. And then there'll be a break and then they'll come back for the main course. And, uh, this is like, you know, you go to a nice restaurant and they give you a really good appetizer. And then they're like, we'll just wait on that a little bit. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to hang out. I'll order like another drink here at this point in time. I'm just going to enjoy the conversation. And then the food's going to come back again. But that like middle point after the appetizer before the, oh, it's just, it's magic. Just magic. I don't know what it's like to go out to eat anymore. Cause I have kids and I just never do that. But like, that's <laughs> what I envision it being like. You imagine. Well, I'm excited too, because it's the first tour that I'm going to be on HF pod for really the first full tour. So I'm super excited to talk to you and everybody in HF pod about all the shows. It's gonna be so fun. As well as we are to talk to you and all of you out there, quick reminder before we go, if you are going to any of these shows, uh, orange beach, I think is what it's called. Uh, mm -hmm. Charleston and deer Creek hit us up. Let us know. We will get in touch with you about, uh, joining us for the recaps, but we need to tell you one last time. Do you want to do the Sunset Lake? Do you want me to? How do you do? Do you want to? Do you want to tell us more about it? I would Please. love to tell us about it. Yeah, Sunset Lake CBD is a majority hemp-owned. I'm sorry, a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. 
to build and protect healthy soils. They were, are 100% pesticide free. They use minimal tillage and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont agronomist to study hemp and inform best industry practices. And breaking news, Brian, the sleeping CBD gummies are on the website. Woo! Yes. Can't wait. I need it's a woo moment. moment. It's true. It's a woo so moment. Now I enjoyed taking their gummies for CBD, but now they have sleep ones that are formulated to help you sleep. So excited to get some of those. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. And we want to tell you as well about Cash or Trade, which is the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after a transaction. You can rate and review each other when a transaction is complete. No added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Visit Cash or Trade to learn more as well as to use their services. And with that, we'll bid you all adieu. Uh, quick question here from Incredible Perp. Will you guys be doing any live on-location HF pods this summer? We're not ready to announce it yet, but we have three, possibly four in the works that we will be announcing here very, very soon. Um, really excited to be able to do some of these in front of you all and hopefully see some of you on tour this summer. So great question. We will have a little bit more information about that to follow. We will not be doing any during this first leg, but we are looking towards the second leg for a couple. So with that, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. Uh, thank you all for hanging with us here today. And for those of you who've been on the spring 92 journey with us, thank you. It's been a ton of fun for us and um, we'll see you all here next week which is fish tour week yay bye everyone Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. 
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.